I am uh, Pastor Trudy, and uh, it's a privilege to get to speak to you today. Uh, I also have a special uh, honor here in the church and that my, the pastor and his wife are my kids. Uh, I'm Pastor Josh's mother, and uh, I love this church. I tell you what, it's, it's been such a joy to be here. Uh, I also want to uh, say hello to everybody that's joined us online today. And hello, New Song Church. I love you. I love you very much. Um, one of the things that people have asked me, they say, what do you do here anyway? And I, I said, well, one of the things I do, and I've always had this on my heart, is I stay on my knees for all of you. I stay on my knees for all of you. You're our peeps. <laughs> You're our peeps. We take it seriously. You're our family, and we love you. And we want you to be protected. We want you to be safe. We want you to be loved. We want you to get full of faith. We want you to be what God wants you to be. And so I just want you to know I pray for you all the time. I pray for you all the time. So thank you for being here today. I, uh, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about a scripture, Luke 18, 8. And when I did, it, it was so, such a joy to hear the worship set we had today about the faithfulness of God. Because we talk a lot about the faithfulness of God, and He is faithful. In fact, the Word says He'll always be faithful to us, no matter if we're faithful or not. Like Pastor David said, He's faithful to us. But Luke 18, 8 says, When the Son of Man returns, will He find, will He find, Jesus, faith in the earth? See, God wants us to be faithful to him as much as he's faithful to us. Because we have a job to do. He went to the cross. He bought us back with his blood. And he gave us all a plan. When you come into his, when you come into his kingdom, there is placed on you a purpose and a plan by God that you have for this earth. And whether you're walking in it or not, he's, he has a plan for your life. In fact... Uh, you know, in Psalm 139, it says that there was a story written about you. There was a story written about you. God wrote a story about you. And he's directing you all the time, whether you realize it or not. He's got a story written for your life. And when you come into the kingdom of God, you get the beginning of that story. And it's a wonderful story. And, um, and I just want to say, before I begin to preach on Hebrews 11... Uh, it's, it's the whole book is about, the whole book of Hebrews is about faith. In fact, um, I, I read a book by Corey Russell called Prayer and Why Our Words Matter to God. And he sums up the book in one word, access. This book is all about that we have access to God. And, uh, you know, sometimes we don't realize how precious that is. But if you understood about the Old Testament, they did not have access to God. Only the prophet, priest, and king had access to God. The rest of them had to go through somebody else to get to God. But because of Jesus and his blood, he tore the curtain of the temple in two and said, Come straight in to me and bow before the throne of grace. And we can go there any time we want to. We have obtained that grace and favor from God because of his blood. And so, you know, today I was thinking about the, the, 
having faith in God. And I want you to know as I'm teaching, I'm, I get the privilege today of preaching about Rahab the harlot. And it's such a wonderful story. It's a story of love. It's, a story, it's one of the most redemptive stories, I believe, in the whole Bible. And uh, it, as I began to read it, I began to look down through her story and how faith worked in her life. In this, in, because she was in an, in an impossible situation. But because she believed God, she was rescued. And so I'm going to first give you some, some background about faith and how it works, just to remind you. And then I'm going to let you see how that worked in her life. Um, one of the things that uh, Pastor Josh said when he was uh, preaching the first series on this and I want y'all to understand that today. These people that we're, we've been preaching about, Abraham and Joshua and Jacob and, and uh, Abel and Moses and all of these people, they, they weren't special because of who they were. They were special because they used their faith. The subject of this book is not about special people. It's about people that use their faith. And that means that there are no special people that are beyond or be, are higher than we are today in, in the church. Everyone in this building has the right to use their faith and God work on their behalf. It doesn't, it doesn't just belong to special people. It belongs to everybody now. And we get to walk in that. And it's also about being fearless. I remember in Pastor Sarah's message, she teached... Um, uh, just a wonderful message on living in this time and day and not being fearful. You know, I see more fear today than I've ever seen in my life. And really and truly, the kingdom of God is not about fear. It's about using faith in God. So our message today is going to be, be about us walking in the faith of God and about how we can do it. And so let's open with this. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about in talking about Rahab the harlot is uh, how she believed. The first thing I want to put up on the board here is faith is belief. Actually, the word faith, according to Strong's Concordance in the, uh, in the KJV Bible, which I still like to read, is the word pistos. And it means belief. Just simple. Just means belief. Faith is not this fairy dust. Faith is not this ethereal thing that you're trying to attain. But it just means to believe. Uh, the scripture says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must believe. You must have faith. If you want to come to God to please him, you need faith. How do you get that? You seek. It says you diligently seek him. How do you seek him? Well, the word seek there is the word. It's not like you're running around hunting behind a tree or trying to just figure out where to get this. The word seek there means to research or to investigate. And so the next point I want to talk about is faith is belief, but then faith has a content. Faith is based, our belief is based on content. What content? 
Hebrews 11.1 1 defines it well. Faith or belief is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that you can't see. The word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the content you need to hear is God's word. It's, it's not about vague feelings. Faith is not about feelings. It's about the content of God's word and what he says about you, what he declares about you, what he fought for for you, what he went to the cross for for you, and what has been presented to you in the New Testament as the new covenant where you have a chance to come in and be close to God again. See, in the Old Testament, you couldn't do that. You couldn't be near God. You couldn't. There, there was a, a veil, and, and people were kept outside the veil. But God wanted to be near his people. When you begin to read the story of the Bible, you'll realize that it's a book about a, a father and his family and how much he loved them. And when you go back to Adam and Eve and you see that he created these two people that were his children and he loved them with all of his heart. But then they failed. And this is one of the saddest things because when they failed, it separated them from God. In fact... When, uh, when God came into the garden after they had sinned, he made the statement. He said, where are you? Well, he knew where they were. He knew exactly where they were. But what he was saying is, where are you with me? And actually in the Hebrew it says, what happened? The light turned out. The light of God turned out in their lives. And the Holy Spirit departed from them. And they could no longer be in God's presence because they weren't sanctified anymore. Because the blood sanctified them and made them able to be in his presence. And that makes us able to be in his presence. It's because they were pure and holy, but once they sinned, they were not anymore. And it broke his heart. And so the story of the Bible is him working throughout the whole Bible to try to get you back to him. Because he loves you so. And so, as we open this, you got to realize that the, one of the ways that you find out who you are is by the content of the Bible. You've got to know what the Bible says about you. Uh, the whole purpose in reading the Word of God is to determine the will of God in your life. You cannot believe beyond your knowledge of the Word of God. That's why we have transformed journals here. We want you to get into the word for yourself and read the word for yourself so you can find out who you are. See, you can't, you can't believe for something that you don't know anything about. You know, it fascinates me that people get on uh, the news or they get on the Internet and they read all this stuff that is just crazy. And they believe it. And they have not fact-checked it. And there's just so much going on out there, but they'll believe anything anybody says, anything anybody tweets, anything that's put on Facebook. They just grab it and say, well, oh, my goodness, look what's happening. Listen, listen, listen. There's about half of that or more. most of it isn't even true in the first place. And if it is, we do not live by fear anyway. And yet, you'll show them the word of God and they'll, they won't, pay attention to what the word of God says because they don't know enough about it to know how much he loves you, how much he wants you to walk with him, how near he wants to be you, he, near he wants to be to you. He wants you to have faith in him. But the way to have faith in him 
is to know the content of what believing is, and that's the Word of God. The Bible is your manual. It's a manual. A manual means the mind of the maker. How many of you know that when you have something, especially something new like a VCR or a, even an iPhone or anything, it has a manual that goes with it. Well, there's no VCRs anymore. A few people have it. I'm sorry. I'm back in time. But that's okay. They used to have manuals for VCR. Now they have manuals for all, all kinds of other things. And, but, but what I've noticed about people is a lot of times they don't read the manual before they start putting something together. And, uh, well, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but sometimes people just don't read the manual. You know, they'll start putting things together and, uh, and, uh, Pastor Ken. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it it won't go together right. You know, the leg will be backwards or something happens. Sorry, I'm not, I'm just using you for example, okay? I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm just, but anyway, and I'll say, well, did you read the manual? Well, no. And you know, a lot of people do that. They'll just get something. And I I got a new car uh, a couple of years ago and it's got all this fancy stuff on it, you know, but I haven't read the manual and my grandkids will get in there and they'll push buttons and find things I didn't even know was on that car. (laughs) Now they got a mind. They have a mind because they know something about computers and things that are going on because they've learned. But my point in all this is, how can you believe for something that you don't know about? If you don't know God loves you, if you don't know he's got a covenant for you, if you don't know that he'll heal you, if you don't know that he'll deliver you, uh, if you don't know these things, how can you believe for it? You know, you believe in something you trust, and you believe in something that you have... have, uh, tried you know when you have a friend you have friends uh one of the things that makes them a close friend and you believe in them is that you have developed a relationship with them and you have walked with them through things that um you've seen how they're going to react in that situation and you know that that you can trust them do you know our god is just like that do you know our god's a loyal god do you know he's a faithful god Do you know he's a loving God? That's why we can trust him with our lives. He's not going to hurt you. Now, he may teach you some things. He may help build your character some. And, you know, I like to say this. When you're using your faith, it comes through perseverance most of the time. Most of the time, the things you get are not instant. You know, we always want instant miracles, and God still does that. And we're praying for revival, and we're believing we're going to see miracles. I've had miracles in my life. I've gone through uh, things in my life where God has just instantly healed me. But then I've gone through things I had to persevere through, too. And one of the things you got to understand is sometimes in your life, when you're using your faith or your belief, if you don't get everything you want immediately, sometimes God is preparing that for you and there's steps to get there or he's preparing you for that thing. It would be like a, a giving a child a shotgun when they're three or four years old. 
they're not prepared for that, so you might want them to grow up a little bit so you can give them certain things. And God's like that because he's a good father, just like you're a good father. You're not going to put things into the hands of your children that they're not ready for. And so in order for you to understand God's will for your life and what he wants for your life, you need to have faith and you need to know the content. You will never know God's will and how it functions without it. It's your discipleship handbook. If you don't read and become familiar with the manual, you'll never learn how to operate in God's will. Faith, or you could say belief, comes from where the will of God is known. You've got to know what God's will is. Number three, faith or belief is acting like God is telling the truth. Uh, Psalm 119.98, the Passion Translation says, By considering your commands, I have an edge over my enemies, for I take seriously everything you say. You've got to believe what God's saying. And the way you do that is by spending time with him and in his presence. And that's one thing that we really stress here is spending time with God. Going to what we call the secret place and praying and listening and reading the word and being around other people that will encourage you in that. That's very important to your walk with God. Uh, also, he reprimands people that are always having to see something. In John 20, 29, uh, Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, and they yet they believe. 1 Peter 1, 8 says, Whom having not seen you love... Though now you, do see, now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How many of you have actually seen in person the Lord Jesus Christ? Nobody in this building has. But how many of you love him? How many of you love him? You haven't seen him. But why? You believe in him. You believe he's there. You believe he's real. You believe he went to the cross. You believe that he cares about you. So you've got to believe. I love this des definition, too, of uh, whosoever. The Lord said whosoever can come. But it's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice if you want to serve him. It's your choice if you want to build a life of faith with God. It's your choice. We all have a choice. If we didn't have a choice, we'd be robots. If we didn't have a choice, God could make us do all of this stuff. He would make you do it. He would make you come to church. He would make you pay your tithes. He would make you pray. He would make you do everything. But he doesn't. Why? Because you have a choice. Because it's a relationship, not a dictatorship. He loves you. And he cares about you. And I like what whosoever means. I like this I like this definition. It says, everybody won't, anybody can, somebody will. I'm going to be that somebody, aren't you? Don't you want to be the somebody that comes to Jesus and lets him rule your life and help you and love you the way you should be loved in this earth? You know, it's so, so, so important that you know the word of God. 
Because then you can discern between the soul and the spirit. You can also discern between what's God's will and what isn't. It's, it's very important that you know. You know, years ago, uh, when uh, we first got married, we'd, we had been through all kinds of stuff. You know, I had a wonderful conversion with the Lord Jesus Christ. I had been very desperate for him, and I cried out to him. And uh, one night I cried out to him, and I just said, I've tried to serve you the best I know how, but I need for you to show me that you're real for me to go on. Well, the very next morning, the very next morning, two people showed up on my steps with the gospel and preached to me, and I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I started this journey of faith because I saw him move in my life. And then, then my, my husband, Pastor Ken, was going through alcoholism. And uh, he got saved. and Well, he'd actually already been saved, but he wasn't walking in the fullness of it. And so I prayed for him, and in a few weeks, he got right with God and got delivered from alcoholism and has never had another drop as long as he's been alive. Because we made commitments to him to use our faith. Once we knew he was faithful to us, we want to be faithful to him. But... There are times in your life, if you don't know the Word of God, you're going to be very confused about what God wants to do with you. Um, in, our, in our journey with God, and we've had, I'll just tell you, in 53 years of our marriage, we've had all kinds of adventures and journeys and ups and downs, and you will. You'll have ups and downs. But we've had a whole lot more ups than we've had downs. And when we were down, he brought us back up. You know, I've got uh, three little grandchildren they're in heaven tonight, today. And I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to see them. And it broke my heart, but the Lord told me, he said, they're in my arms, you'll get to see them later. But he said, you got five little grandchildren on, on the earth with boots on the ground, and I want you to pour your life and your love and your care into those little grandchildren. See, he always takes you back to a place of victory, no matter what you're going through. But I remember... When I was first learning to trust God, uh, I had wanted to have a baby, and uh, I, I couldn't because I went to the doctor, and they said I had very severe endometriosis, and I would have to have a hysterectomy. And uh, I just remember I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. I do not want to live on this earth without children. I do not. And I began to believe God, and I began to pray over it, and and uh, one night, I'll remember, I remember this, just reading the Bible. I was just reading through the Psalms. And all of a sudden, in the Psalms, it said, He shall make the barren woman a joyful mother of children. And I thought, there it is, right there. It's His will. And so I grabbed hold of that. And I'm telling you, you can ask Pastor Ken. Once I got hold of that, you weren't going to get it away from me. It's like my little French bulldog. She gets hold of something, you're not going to get it away from her. But anyway, I began to believe God, and it didn't happen right away, but I thought it's his will. I don't know why it's not happening, but it's his will. And I went to the doctor, and they gave me different ways to, you know, combat the condition, and none of them worked, and they kept saying, you really need to have a hysterectomy, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I would not, and I began to do something. My sister gave me a little tiny dress, and this dress... Um, uh, was one of her daughter's dresses. 
And I began to take that dress. And I took that dress everywhere I went. Everywhere I went, I took that dress. And I imagined a baby in it. And I'd, I'd take it to the kitchen and I'd cook. I'd cook, and I'd put that little dress on the counter, and I'd look at it, and I'd think, there's going to be a baby in that dress one day. And then I'd take it to bed with me, and I'd fall asleep at night with it in my hands, and I'd say, one of these days, there's going to be a little baby in our house. And I just kept on and on and on. And then one day I went to the doctor, and sure enough, I was pregnant. I was pregnant. And I was so full of joy. I was so full of joy. And then uh, we go along, about seven months in, all of a sudden, uh, I developed something called toxemia. And uh, they said, uh, your toxemia is so bad that uh, we really uh, need to put you in the hospital. And if we can't get control of this, we're going to have to take the baby because your kidneys are beginning to fail. You're having renal failure. Which means if you, don't, if you don't do something, you'll die. So we have to take the baby to save your, save your life. And I remember people, and, and I was going to a church then, but there were people in the church that came to me, and I know they were trying to be kind and let me down easy. But they said, uh, honey, it could be God's will. If, if something happens to this baby, it might be God's will for you to lose this baby. And I remember thinking, no. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I know what a father's like. I know a good father. And I know he did not heal me and give me this child at the last minute to yank it out of my life. Now, there are times I know we've faced things and we've had some losses. But I want you to know it was not the Lord that did it. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I remember that night I was in the hospital and they're telling me they got to deliver the next day. And I'm all alone. And I've had people coming in and going and telling me, well, you know. I, and I know they were trying to be kind. Because I'm a young girl. They didn't want me to be hurt. But I've always had this tenacity about God. And that he's a good father. Because I had a good father. I know what that looks like. And I knew my father. My earthly father was loyal and wonderful and good. And I thought, if my heavenly father, the word says, is better than him, then, then he's loyal and good and perfect. And I understood what a father looked like. So I remember that night. I'm laying in there in the hospital alone. Everybody had gone home. And uh, I'm in the Baylor Hospital in Dallas, the, in the uh, ICU for premature babies. And I'm laying there that night, and I'm... I began to sing. And it seems like in my life, I've sang my way through a whole lot of stuff. Just worshiping God like we did today. Declaring his love and his faithfulness. And I began to sing. And I sang an old song, and most of you wouldn't know it because it's an old, old hymn. But it goes like this. Shut in with God in a secret place. There in his glory, beholding his face. Gaining new strength to run in the race. I long to be shut in with God. And I tell you, in a moment, the presence of God filled that hospital room. It was thick. I don't know that I've ever experienced the love and the presence of God like I did that day. 
In fact, I, I've told Ken before, I, it was so real. His presence and his love was so real to me that night. I wouldn't open my eyes because I thought, he's standing there. I know he is. He's right here because I can feel his love and his assurance. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I am the life giver. I am the life giver. And no matter how little or young or old or whatever, weak or strong, I'm the life giver. I'm the life giver. And I knew in that moment he was assuring me that everything was going to be all right. And the next day, thank God, I went in that hospital and, and, they, and I had to have a, a C-section and I couldn't be put to sleep because she was so tiny. My little girl was so tiny I was carrying that if she got any of the medication, it could be very detrimental to her. So they just put a little curtain in front of me and they gave me some kind of a local thing and uh, they delivered my beautiful little girl and they brought her around to me and I got to look in her little face and they said, she's perfect. She's perfect. Her little lungs were developed. Everything about her was developed and perfect. It was wonderful. I see, I've seen God do too many things in my life to not serve him with every ounce of my being. But I based it on his word and on the content of the word. You may be in a hopeless place, but not with Jesus. You may be in a hopeless place but not with Jesus, because he's there. I'm telling you, he is there for you, and he loves you. So now we're going to go on to talking about Rahab the harlot. How did this work in her life? How did a little girl, a young woman that was in such a horrible place, find the faith to, love, to, to find God in her life? She, she had no chance. I'm telling you, she had no chance. Um, you think of all the guys that that were in the hall of, you know, the hall of people that were in the chapter in 11. Every one of them, Abraham, Joshua, all of them, they had a connection to God of some sort. They were Jew, they were all Jews. They had a covenant that God had spoken to them. He's walked with them, directed them. But this girl had nothing. She's living in a pagan uh, culture with no hope. In fact, she had three things that were against her. She was a Gentile, so they, they weren't allowed in the covenant. She was a woman, and back during this time, and still true today in some parts of the country in the Middle East, they treated a woman like a piece of property. They were just to be used they weren't loved for, they weren't cared for, and it happened after the fall. That's what happened. Uh, and then the third thing that was a real biggie, she was a prostitute. <laughs> she had a lot that wasn't good in her life. And besides all that, Rahab was from a family of pagan worship. The first two letters of her name were even chosen in honor of the Canaanite god Ra. Not only did she grow up in a pagan family, but she grew up in a pagan culture that knew no boundaries on immorality. It was the most, one of the most wicked places on the earth, Canaan was. Total idolatry. Nothing about God, nothing about Jehovah in this place. Homosexuality was at a, at a, a high rate there. They had gladiator-style games, murder for sport. They had... Uh, 
sacrifice of children there to Molech. And Molech was a big brass god with a big, he had a bull head on him. And uh, in the middle, there was a hole in the middle of him, and they'd build a fire in there. And people in this, in this pagan uh, culture would go in there, and they would worship, worship their idols, and they'd take their infant babies and roll them into the belly of this and burn their babies to death. This thing we face today, that's nothing new. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of murder. And uh, so it's been around forever. But she, what I'm trying to show you here is she had nothing. She had nothing. Nothing. No support. No love. No anything. She was as far down on the totem pole, I guess you could say, as you could get as far as having any entrance to God. She was in a hopeless place. But hope came in a disguise. Now we got to go back to Joshua. Joshua had waited 40 years. 40 years now. And, fi and uh, finally it's time for him to go in and, and uh, take the land. God says, it's time. He says, Moses is dead. You're the new leader. And I want you to go in and take the land. And he says, I'm going to be with you. And he instructs him through the whole chapter of, of Joshua 1. Of, he says, be strong and courageous about four or five times in there. He keeps saying it over and over. I'm with you. I'm going with you. Every place the, foot, the, the sole of your foot has tread upon is, has already been given to you. Now go and do what I've told you to do. And it says he immediately went out and told his people, he says, get the people ready. We are crossing over in three days. He was very obedient to God. But he wasn't just obedient to God. He was full of faith in what God had told him. He was full of faith about being the new leader because he knew his God. And one of the things God told him, he said, if you want to be a success, you need to stay in the word and meditate on it night and day and speak that over yourself so you'll remember who you are. You have to remember who you are. And so then he gives instructions and he says, I'm going to send some spies and uh, I want them to go into uh, Jericho and kind of, you know, look at it. But let me just tell you something about Joshua. He wasn't going, he wasn't sending spies in there to see if he could do this. Remember, God said, every place your foot. He said, you're going in there to find out how to do this. And I'm going to show you how. And so he sends the spies in. And then the spies get in there. And uh, they go and they kind of disguise themselves or tried to. And they felt like the best place to go would be Rahab the harlot's place, who was, had a home built in the wall. And uh, they went in there because, and I've heard this more than once, that sometimes they would use something like that for, a mili for military assignments because of the discretion there. You know, because they hid people there. Because men were going in and out of there, and they learned to be discreet because the sometimes the wives or the girlfriends would come and try to find them. And so, you know, it's kind of a place where they could go and sneak in and nobody would know they were there because it was designed for that. So the spies get there, and they go into the harlot's house. Well, it wasn't long until somebody saw them, and they said, um, uh, they came to, to uh, Rahab, and they said, 
where are those guys that came in here? They're spies from Israel. And uh, girlfriend lied. She said, I don't know. Um, they were here. I wasn't sure who they were, but they've left. And if you'll go uh, and leave, they went out that gate back there, and they're probably not very far away. So if you'll go right now and chase them, you'll probably catch up with them. And so they bought it, and they left. And so she protected this. And what she had done was she took them up to the roof, and she hid them under a bunch of flax and stuff where nobody could find them. And so she hid the spies, and then we pick up the story here. Number one thing she did, she heard and believed. Faith, belief, provided a way of escape for Rahab the harlot, avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spies in peace. And the word peace there means in quietness. Quiet. And so, back to Joshua. That was Hebrews. Back to Joshua 2, 9. Before the men lay down, she came up to them. And here's her words where she heard and believed. I know, listen to that, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard they heard what did they hear how the lord dried up the water of the red sea before you when you came out of egypt and what you did to the two kings of the amorites who were beyond the jordan to sihon and og you devoted to destruction and that those guys were giants and they were kings but they were giants and as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. But she heard it different than the rest of them. It said she avoided the destruction of the unbelievers. Everybody else in Jericho knew they were coming, but they did not they were not going to give in to this thing. And she heard it and this is what she said to them For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Remember what the first scripture said? He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so she heard and she believed. And then point number two, she asked because she believed. She asked because she believed. She said, let's make a deal. That's what she said. Verse 12 says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, and you also have dealt kindly with my father's, uh, and also you will deal with my father's house and give me a sure token or a sign, that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And, what she, and it says, And if you do not... And the, the, I'm sorry, verse 14. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to the death. Now, that's a covenant term right there. It's a covenant term. It's what Jesus did for us. You see Jesus all through the Bible. It's just disguised. Actually, the Old Testament is the, uh, new, uh, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. 
And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so it says, if you do not tell this business of ours, then the Lord will give you the land to deal kindly and faithfully with you. And so what she did was she says, look, I've believed. I believe you're the God and I've done you a favor. I hid these guys for you. I, 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 I dealt kindly with you, Lord. Will you deal kindly with me? Will you deal kindly with me? And she made a deal. But this is what's so interesting about this. The word uh, deal kindly, what she was asking for is a covenant term called hesed. And uh, it's spelled C-H-E-C-E-D. It's probably on your, up there. But it means a covenant term. And this is what it means. God's faithful, loyal, covenantal covering of love as promised in the covenant. It was God's covenant word for how he would cover his people in the Old Testament. It's used over 240 times to define God's loyal love to his own. Isn't that something? What he was, she was saying was, I'm making covenant with you today because I believed. Will you, will you make covenant with me? And he did. He did. He said, our life for yours. He made covenant with her. And when you see this scripture, I mean, when you see this word, uh, it's, it's in the Bible many times. One of the words for this word uh, hesed is when you see the word mercy, loving kindness, deal kindly. Any of those words, when you look them up in the Strong's Concordance, you'll find that it's the word hesed. It means covenant. So when, he's, when they would say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. What they're saying is praise the Lord for the covenant that covers us, the covenant of love. In Psalm 23, 6, it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's not just, it means goodness and the covenant covering of God will follow me all the days of my life. And so uh, it would be worth your while to do a study of that because it's wonderful. And so when Rahab made a faith decision to ask for God's covering, she was seeking to transition herself from outside of his covenant to under it. It was an alignment choice. Rahab had chosen her words very intentionally because back then they understood covenant. We don't understand covenant today like, like they did. You know, when you, were, when, when you cut covenant with somebody, usually it was, a, it was a country that was little and they're being attacked all the time and so they go to the stronger country that's near them and they say, if you'll cut covenant with us, it, it was for protection. And this is how it worked. Everything we have, we'll give to you. And then the, the stronger one would say, everything we have, we'll give to you. And so they just kind of combine and make a covenant between the two nations. Well, see, when, when God made covenant with Abraham, and this goes back to that. This is going back to that. He, they, would, they would take an animal and split it in two and lay pieces on each side, and the blood was running right through it. <laughs> but most of the time, both parties were to walk through it as a sign of covenant. They were to walk through it, one of them and then the other one, and that meant they'd made the covenant. But with Abraham, <laughs> this is so cool. 
He said, no, you're not going to walk through it. I'm going to walk through it for you because I've made covenant with you. Everything you have is mine, but everything that's mine is yours too because of the blood. And you see this over and over and over, the covenantal blood, the covenantal covering of God. And so Rahab was able to receive because she believed the covenant of God. And it's also a picture of the New Testament because in the Old Testament, you couldn't have covenant with a Gentile. But in the New Testament, everybody's welcome. Everybody gets to come in because of the blood. Everybody. Everybody that's sinned, everybody that's done anything that goes and gets cleansed by the blood, it doesn't matter what you've done with your life or how bad it's been or how many sins you've committed. When that blood is, when you make covenant with God, he washes that away and you get a brand new start. Always. And if you stay faithful to him, he will train you and help you to walk in this life with power and glory and, and, and all that's his will be yours. So she, she figured this out, and she cut covenant. And so then she believed, number three, and she received the token of the blood, the scarlet cord. This was the big issue right here. Not just the words, but the blood sealed it. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind the line, a scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us, you let us down. And unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and your father's household to our own, to your own home. Now they had instructed to make sure they're there. And I, I believe with all my heart right here that those guys preached the Passover to them because they had just done it, you know, a few years before with the children of Israel, and they're bringing her into covenant. And so they preached Passover to her, and they said, you got to have the blood. you got to have a symbol of the blood, a token. That means it's a sign that you're undercover. And so they were instructed when they came into uh, when they came into Jericho, they said, everything must die there. Everything. said, don't leave any breath in anything. They were to kill every person, every animal, everything there. Except, they said, when you see the scarlet cord, don't touch them. Don't touch them. I was thinking about this last night. I would just bet that's what David was saying when he said that. Thousand will fall at my right hand, ten thousand at the left, but nothing will come nigh me. It's because of the blood covenant. See, it's because of the blood covenant. And so she says this to them. They exempt, they tell her what she's got to do, and she had told them. And I love this too. She said, "I'm not going without my family. Not going without my family." And honestly, she hadn't had a very good one. You know, if they named her after a Canaanite god, but she loved them. And she probably preached to them, and she brought them in. She said, I'm not going without them. We're not going without our families. We are not going without our families. We love our families and our children, and we love the people of God. We're all going to go soon, I believe. I think Jesus is coming back pretty soon. But we're not going without our families. And so she said to them, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. 
And this is a very interesting thing because it's exactly the same words that Mary used. Be it unto me according to thy word. Covenant terms. I believe. I receive. It's so simple. It's so simple. And the walls came tumbling down. Just like God said. All the walls of Jericho fell. All of them. And listen, this wasn't any little wall. I remember when I was a little kid, I'd see pictures of Jericho. And you'd just think it kind of had this little fence around it. No. Jericho was the, is considered to have been the oldest city in the world. It had been around a long time. It was called the City of the Palms. And it was a magnificent, powerful place. It was a fortress. It, the walls, they say, were... Uh, wide uh, wide enough that they ran uh, chariot races on top of it. On the top of it. They say some some predicted they were, I don't know how many stories high. These were not little walls. This place was considered impenetrable. Nobody could defeat Jericho. And isn't it interesting that God did it? (laughs) And all they did was walk around it and then they shouted and that was it. Why? Because it's his power that works in us. See, it's his power that works in you. You don't, you don't have to do this. It's his power that works in you, if you believe. And the walls came tumbling down, except for one little section of that wall. It stood. And it was the piece that had the scarlet cord because of the blood. We have that covenant today. We don't have to be afraid of this culture. We don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen in the future because God is with us and in us and working through us. We don't have to be afraid because the Bible says that when Jesus appears, when he, when he comes before God, he's going to present to himself a glorious church without spot and wrinkle. Now, I think there's a, he'll have to do some ironing, okay? But I will say this. He said it. I didn't. I'm going to present this thing to myself, glorious. And glorious doesn't mean you're going to be all beat up and, and scared and crawling in the corner. No, we're a glorious church. We were put here for the kingdom of God. We have a job to do, and we must believe. We must believe. And the walls came tumbling down. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelled in Israel. She dwells in Israel even to this day because he hid the messengers. She hid the messengers. Now, I think it's interesting there, too, that it changed from messengers, it changed from spies to messengers. So what you see was the plan of God. The spies were sent in there, but they were really messengers because God had a plan for Rahab the harlot. This wasn't the end of the story. They came and got her, and they took her and all of her family to Israel. (laughs) But this is the coolest part of the story. Thousands of years later, whose name do we find forever recorded in the line of the kings in Joseph's line in Matthew 1.5? One of only four women were named in that line. And in fact, there's, there's not any other genealogy in the book, in the Bible, where women are even mentioned. But this one, yeah, 
it's, it, it mentions some women that God wanted recognized. And who's in that? Rahab the harlot is in that chapter. Now, this is what happens. She goes to Israel and begins to live there. And this guy named Salmon fell in love with her and married her. And then her and Salmon beget a guy named Boaz. And then Boaz and Ruth beget a guy named Obed. And then Obed and his wife begat Jesse. And then Jesse and his wife begat David the king. And that was the line that the Lord Jesus Christ came through to this earth. So he used this woman that nobody wanted, nobody cared about, would have been thrown away. That most people would think that she doesn't even belong in that group of men. But God said, yes, she does. Because I have a plan for her. And once I get in covenant with her, I'm going to use her life. And she's going to help bring the Messiah into the earth. Jesus himself, the, re the rescuer, was born from Rahab's own line. Just incredible. Oh, what a plan. Oh, what a planner. Same thing for all of you in this building. He's got a plan for you. And some of you, just, you just don't know how much God loves you. You keep shrinking back because you think you're not good enough. None of us were good enough. It's the blood that makes us good enough. It's the covenant that makes us able to come. He took our place. Remember? My life for yours. He made a trade. He said, I'm going to trade your old dirty life that's not worth anything. I'm going to trade mine for you because I love you. And then you're going to be holy. And then you're going to walk with me and talk with me and be in my, back in the family of God. We have such a wonderful Savior. Such a wonderful Savior. What a story of the cross. What a story of the cross. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. How can we escape? This is the story of the great escape. She escaped. But how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We won't. But we don't have to because of Jesus and his love for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The cross. I'm going to read something to you and then I want you to be thinking about making a decision today. Do I want to come in covenant with God? It's a simple thing to do. All you got to do is believe in Jesus Christ and ask Him into your heart today. And you're a part of the family if you believe it. If you believe it. I want to read this to you because it so touches my heart. It's something Corey Russell wrote, and I just want you to hear the impact of love in this. The cross revealed the depths of God's hatred towards sin. There were many participants in the death of Jesus, Judas, the Pharisees, the Romans, Pilate, the Jews, me, you, and the devil. But the participant 
I want to highlight is the father. He was the chief agent of Jesus' crucifixion. Scripture says it pleased the father to crush him. God's hatred towards sin is so violent, so pure and absolute that he would rather have his son die than allow sin to live on the earth. The father did not flinch in the face of Jesus' agony, but poured out the fullness of his divine wrath and judgment during the six hours he hung on that tree. Not all the vials of judgments that have or shall be poured out on this wicked world, nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against the rebellious devils, nor the groans of the damned creatures give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath let loose upon his son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time of our Savior's countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what the Father did for you. They did this together. They chose before the beginning of the world to make a way. The Bible says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Remember what whosoever means? Everybody won't. Anybody can. Somebody will. I pray that somebody will today be touched by this message. And that you will ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. How can we escape if we neglect this salvation? We won't. You need to just come to the one who can fix everything for you today. And I want to I make some statements here. And if you agree with it, I want you to say yes. Do you believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe he died and shed every drop of his blood and rose from the dead to justify you? Do you believe his blood can wash away all your sin so that you can stand in complete righteousness before God? then let's confess him as our Lord and Savior and our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this precious thing. Let us not get used to the cross. Let us not get used to what you've done. Let us every day remember that we were no better than Rahab the harlot. No more dirty, no more. Without you, without your blood cleansing us, we were all dirty. And I thank you today for those who've accepted Jesus in this service into their hearts by that confession of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.